Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is John Conrads, who you've probably heard of. He won the 1500-meter freestyle in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome, and he's in his career, he's set 26 individual world records, and he now coaches up in the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and I've got John here on the call today. We're going to talk about a few things about technique, so you can swim easier, swim more efficiently, and improve your swimming. So welcome to the call, John. Yeah, good to see you. Good to hear you, I should say, to Britain. <laughs> well, that, thanks, John. What, what I really... Um, one of your mantras is is swim easy. So you've got uh, a book and DVD titled Swim Easy, and I think that fits in really well with effortless swimming, which is kind of my mantra. And uh, yeah. I guess it's you know one of the common things that that comes up is that some people will say that well swimming's not easy. You know swimming's not effortless. But I think yeah. the way that we speak about it, it's about using energy in the right places and conserving energy in the right places. Absolutely, but. Let's take a big step backwards. Uh, I mean, humans aren't built for swimming. Uh, you know, you, you, you put a little puppy dog in the water and it automatically swims. That's not so with a child. Uh, you know, in the recent flood, uh, floods, uh, I saw I saw videos on the news of kangaroos swimming. You know, now. Uh, so, so human beings uh, aren't built to swim, and, and therefore it's a foreign environment. And we're taught when we were toddlers that it's a dangerous environment. So this sets up tension and anxiety. Now, one of my uh, key things is that everybody has a, a bit of anxiety. Grant Hackett on the last fifteen hundred, the last lap of the fifteen hundred, when he's buggered, doesn't want a cop of a drop of water down his throat from a passing swimmer. He came the other way, I hope. <laughs> um, the, and, and, and off, you know, off the tip of his fingertips and have to cough. <laughs> have you ever coughed at the end of a 1500 or walk down full of water? It is not fun. Uh, so we've got, we've got this tension built in. And, and, and the key thing to that is to first recognize it and secondly, uh, work against it uh, or work to overcome it. And the, the, the thing I use now in all of my swim clinics, and, and I've got to give credit to Milt Nelms, who uh, you may have heard of. Uh, Milt uh, is, is a, a fantastic guy. He used to work with the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, and, and he recently, uh, a couple of years ago, married Shane Gould, so he's, he's now become an Aussie living in Tasmania, I think. But, uh, you know, what we call the hang float, uh, just float completely, uh, completely uh, loosely in the water, like a piece of seaweed or a piece of jellyfish, uh, face down, uh, arms and legs dangling down, depending on body density. And uh, even good swimmers find that you can find this confronting. They're not used to being perfectly relaxed in the water. The Red Cross calls this a dead man's float. And 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 that's a way of 
of telling your fight, fight brain, your primitive brain, hey, this is okay. And uh, what I find interestingly surprising, and particularly triathletes, because they're bikies and runners 90% of the time, uh, they're just not used to doing it. <laughs> I mean, biking is natural for human beings. It's a running-type movement done on a machine. But soon, sure isn't. It's, it's a different world altogether. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell the difference between a swimmer that is relaxed in the water and one that's not just by looking at their stroke, their distance per stroke as well. And I used to coach down at uh, the Melbourne University pool uh, about f- probably five, six years ago. And the pool's only about uh, about a metre 70, maybe a metre 60 deep. And they'd get a lot of foreign exchange students who had never been, never learnt to swim who would go there and they'd need to be rescued in the water because of what you're talking about, they they go mm. into that um, you know that flight mode and they panic and they become yeah. anxious and they you know they sort of struggle to to float or swim in in that depth of water. So yeah, and the other thing is that that, that this subconscious drive it's part of the flight flight brain completely involuntary. Uh, you know it, it drives us upwards. You know it's warm up there, it's cold down there. You know sharks are down there. You know, salvation's up there. So we, we want to angle upwards and swim in you know, what I call the water ski complex. If I slow down, I'll sink. And and I want to get people to sink at flotation depth. This is particularly true, once again, as for athletes, because they usually uh, have very little, if any, body fat. So they're not good floaters. And And for those guys and girls... Uh, all the more reason to swim well in the water uh, and and to breathe, and particularly to, you know, to get in recovery, rotate more. You, you do real uh, slow-mo shots of Thorpey or, or Hackett and uh, coming towards you. They're rotating through 180 degrees. Their shoulder points are vertical. Um, and I often say, you know, things like two side tracks put together. Uh, the, the shoulder points are vertical uh, in, in recovery. In other words, one shoulder is directly above the other. And so, so people with, uh, with with high body density, the sinkers, so to speak, you've got to rotate more to breathe, looking skywards. Kieran Perkins, I used to look up at the ceiling and up at the sky when he breathed. Two goggles out of the water, looking skywards. That means he's not lifting. The water's doing the work of holding him up. He can concentrate his energies on going forward. And that kind of ties in as well to something that you probably come across when you're doing one-on-one lessons or you're doing private group classes, and that's swimmers that tend to hold their breath when they're swimming freestyle. So when their face is in the water, they're not breathing out constantly. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of impact that has on, has on their stroke and on their um, energy levels as well, I guess. Yeah, well, breathing is the most important thing we do, which causes problems in, in, in swimming because, uh, uh, you know, you know if, you, if you come across a, a car accident and you've got, a, you've got some first-age knowledge... <laughs> The first thing you do is check the breathing. If you're saving somebody's bleeding, if they're not breathing, and I'm I'm being particularly sinister about this because, uh, you know, it's 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 so 
powerful, uh, all these emotions that we have. So seeing breathing is the most important thing we do. The source of all evil comes from breathing, uh, or most evil anyway, because we, we want to get a good breath. Uh, therefore, we tend to lift to breathe, for example. Uh, we don't breathe out enough. Uh, try emptying your lungs... And, and until they're completely empty, yeah, you know, all the way down to the bottom, and then cough. In other words, you've still got enough air left in your lungs to cough, even if you think your lungs are empty. And and and, and I focus on exhaling because if people exhale, they'll sure as hell sure as hell inhale again. But if they inhale, they may not exhale. So. You know, the key to breathing is, is, is uh, to focus on exhale and, and, and uh, lift to breathe, roll to breathe. Yeah, and what I, what I recommend to swimmers who are having trouble with their breathing is that, so you take your breath and then when your face goes under the water, you are just constantly releasing air from your lungs, whether it's through your nose or through your mouth or through both. Yeah. And then just before through, you take that breath. Both, yeah. Yeah, through both and then release all of the oxygen or all of the air just before you take that breath, so you've got empty lungs yep. in order to, you know, take a yep. full breath. And that clears the passageways too. Think of a whale surfacing, you know, that clears the passageways with a big blast, uh, and, and 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 then breathes in immediately afterwards. In fact, I was looking at some David Attenborough thing uh, just recently uh, that was showing overhead pictures of whales and. Uh, and, and, and the spout lasts, you know, a couple of seconds. And then you see the gap open up, and, and, but the, the whale inhales in about less than a second. I was, I was very surprised. I said, gee, I thought these guys have got such huge lungs that they take longer to inhale, but it doesn't take long at all to inhale. And, and, and they, the, the spout to exhale takes much longer past everything else they've got to spill the water out. So it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, particularly with, with uh, once again, triathletes, uh, air resistance is their enemy. Wind, you know, it's great to have a bike in front of you to break the air. But water resistance, I think, is the same thing. Uh, well, water is your friend because you're, you're using it to propel yourself. Uh, and, and the key thing to remember in, 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 um, uh, in swimming is that... that uh, Water resistance—it's uh, uh, it's a question of streamlining, first of all, to, to, to reduce the water resistance. <laughs> but but the key thing here is that, that that a submarine goes faster than a surface ship at the same uh, with the same power and, and weight. Right? So you know the—that's uh, because. A submarine doesn't waste energy breaking the surface. It takes, sure, there are waves underwater, but it creates more waves at the surface than it does underwater. So the surface is the, the most inefficient place to, to propel yourself. Uh, so stay low and think torpedo rather than speedboat. Uh, so don't try to fight water resistance by aquaplaning upwards. All you're doing is wasting energy. Yeah, and one of you, one of your main principles when you're teaching swimming is swimming at flotation flotation depth, which is what you're sort of talking yeah. about there. Yeah, the objective is to 
to, to let the water do all the work. And, and that means you're swimming on a straight axis from the crown of your head out your bum between your legs. Uh, and, and so your spine is, is as close as possible parallel to the water surface. And, and you, you axis on which you rotate like a, like a barbecued uh, roast, you know, it's a spit roast, uh, that, that's, that's parallel to the surface of the water. And when you you might find the same thing when you're taking um, people through you know some technique work, the one of the main things that I come across is that swimmers will either be kicking too hard, or they'll be bending at their hips so that their legs are dragging below them, which is causing quite a bit of resistance. So they're sort of the two, um, they're two of the main things which we sort of start yeah. with when we work with when we're working on. So. Um, you know, what what do you find in terms of how hard someone's kicking to how tired they get in the water? Well, the the the, the thing is is that uh, we, we when we learn to swim as kids, we learn to kick full first, right? And and then we learn to kick hard, and our teacher says, "Kick hard, Johnny! Kick hard, Jenny!" So in our brain, in our subconscious, is the fact that kicking is good. But kicking is the most inefficient thing we do because, you know, we're trying to make fishtails out of our feet, and they're not built like fishtails. Flippers make fishtails out of our feet. That's why we get so much propulsion. But kicking uh, is, is just inefficient. I mean, everybody hates kicking on the kickboard, uh, and, and, and rightfully so because it's very frustrating hard work. Uh, and so, but when you're swimming, it's no less easy. Uh, so the fact, what I say is that, you know, the relaxed kick is not worth the effort. You tie, when, when Thorpey does pool boy, and he's got the fastest kick in the world, along with Alex Popov, uh, what is it, 20, 28.6 or 50 metres kicking with a push-off. <laughs> I was standing next to him one day and I heard it. I know him pretty well. So you did 28.6 for 50 metres kicking, and I said, I said, that was with a dive in an underwater dolphin, wasn't it? He looks down at me, and he says, no, that was with a push-off and a kickboard. <laughs> and <laughs> so, I should, you know, even I get a bit nervous in his presence, so I should have, should have kept my mouth shut until I heard his answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when he does pool boy, he goes 10% slower. You know, I, I've seen him do it. A set of uh, of thirty one hundreds, fifteen, uh, fifteen uh, with, uh, with uh, you know swimming, uh, leaving on on sixty five and holding fifty nine, and, and and without resting, he grabs a pool boy, and he's he's he's, he's uh, you know leaving on seventy, holding sixty four or sixty five, uh, with a pool boy, so. Yeah, and, and he is the greatest kicker in the world. So, you know, kicking is not worth the effort, uh, particularly in triathletes. You've got to use their legs afterwards. Uh, I'm not a triathlete coach, but a, a, a well-known triathlete coach once said, uh, you know, when, when a triathlete gets out of the swimming leg, their heartbeat should be around about 130, 140. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's the key thing. You know, swimming is the odd man out in a triathlon. Yeah. Well, when I, I like to teach to for them to, to kick but not use effort in the kick. So it's really important for, 
balance and timing. And I, th- I see too many too many triathletes oh, yeah. in particular trying a, a two beat kick, which I don't think works for a lot of swimmers. Mostly just because it they can't they can't use the drive from their body rotation quite as much because they're just working too hard on their pull. So I think a four or a six beat kick is usually a better option for most swimmers. And I think too many swimmers try and do a two beat kick, but it's it's just a bit too slow where they yeah. could be quicker. You know, I, I I leave kicking up to the, the rhythm of the kick. I leave it up to the swimmer. Uh, no, sorry, first of all, my, 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 I'm talking about most of my customers are, are middle of the road, uh, lap swimmers, uh, master swimmers, people who just want to swim a kilometre for a workout or maybe go on odd beach race. And, you know, to, to get to, to talk about six beats and two beats and they take their focus off their, their arms, they start concentrating on the legs. But the legs are involved in, in, in body rotation as well as the arms. Um, uh, and so I, I sort of leave it up to them. Uh, let your legs do what they want to do as long as you're not kicking too hard. And, and, and let them find their own, uh, their own speed of beat. Um, so, uh, yeah, the other thing about kicking, of course, is when you're kicking, you're engaging your quadriceps, which are the largest muscles in your body. So using the largest muscles in your body to 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 produce the most inefficient movement, uh, in, 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 which is kicking. Yeah, and co- coming back to your point about you know should they do a four or a six beat kick? Yeah, it's just I mean even for even for top swimmers, it's you know it's a little bit too much to think about, okay, I want to try and do a six-beat kick here. It's just let your legs do what they need to do in order to help with the timing and the balance of your stroke. It's, yeah, um, yeah. Don't get caught up on two, four, six-beat. Just um, let yeah. them do what, you know, what, what works best. Uh, another, yeah. another thing is applying force when needed. So, so I, I think swimming, it's about using energy in the pool and the propulsive movements, but Really switching off that energy in the recovery. So you talk yeah. a bit about that in your your swim easy DVD too. Yeah. Um, well, the rubber on the road is the pull phase of the stroke. Um, the, uh, the in the catch, the only downward pressure that's required is to offset the weight of the opposite arm, which is then in the air. So all of a sudden you've got between four and six kilos going upwards in your recovering arm and. And so it doesn't push you downwards. Uh, you, 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 the catch uh, is, is got downward pressure to offset that. But then when the catch turns into the pool, which is forward of the head, and I like to talk about catch up and, and delayed uh, pulling in a minute, but uh, that's that's the rubber on the road. That's that's where uh, uh, that's that's where all the action takes place. The push at the end of the stroke, uh, there's quite a different set of Ideas from different people as to whether it's a waste of energy or, uh, or, or whether, you know, in other words, should you finish with a, with a good push or just, just let your arm finish the stroke, uh, that depends, I think, on the, on the strength of the triceps of the person and other things like that. But the, 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 the key, the key to, to, uh, the, the, the speed and forward action is the pull. I, uh, when, when I, uh, sometimes I say, well, you know, in a group of swimmers, I say, well, the biggest difference between, you know, Libby Trickett, Ian Thorpe and ourselves, apart from fitness, youth and talent, 
<laughs> is there are two things. One is the innate sense of streamlining. They streamline beautifully. They, they can feel that they're streamlined intuitively. And the second one is the quality of their grip on the water, the rubber on the road. Um, one of the most uh, remarkable swimmers in the last decade and a bit is Natalie Coughlin from the USA, who happens to be a, a Milt Realms protege in terms of stroke mechanics, not in terms of coaching. And, and you know, uh, Natalie, uh, Libby's five foot seven, sorry about the old language, but I'm an oldie, five foot seven with size seven feet. Natalie's five foot eight with size seven feet. And uh, repeatedly the weakest member of the uh, US Olympic team. First woman in the world under a minute for 100 metres backstroke. The thing about Natalie is just that she, the, the, first of all, streamlining, both Libby and Natalie come out a metre ahead out of tumble turns. Uh, that's, that's, that's just so noticeable uh, in, in freestyle because Natalie got the bronze in 100 freestyle twice too. Uh, and the second thing is they're just the quality of their, their grip on the water and they got small hands. They, they, they uh, it's, it's, it's a feeling thing. And uh, that's why I like drills, which are like swimming close-fisted uh, intentionally. And then open your hands up to feel the, the, the satisfaction of the grip on the water. Swim with your fingers spread apart intentionally and do the same and, and develop a feel for the water. This is the rubber on the road, you know. Michael Schumacher goes a tenth of a second faster than Rubens Barrichello on the same Ferrari. It's seat of the pants stuff. So uh, uh, they're the two two big issues, and the pull is the, uh, as I said, uh, the rubber on the road. Mm. One of the things that I've been working with my squad with lately is just getting the streamline right off off the start and off each turn because I'd say probably nine out of ten of just my squad alone, so it's an adult squad, is they'll push off and their streamline is it's it's not good at all. You know they're hands aren't together, they're not uh, locking in their elbows, yeah. It's they're just pushing off and they sort of almost hit a wall when they push off. So we've been working yeah. a lot just on that kind of streamline and that also helps to get a feel for streamlining in your stroke. And with coaching adults, they, you know, they might not have the best flexibility as some of the kids, but you can work on that and it's not going to be a comfortable position when you do push off the wall in a streamline position, but the more you can do it, the better you'll get and then the better yeah. you'll be able to apply that to your stroke. And then what I like is is, is pushing off the wall and, and and not kicking or moving and seeing how far you can push off, just holding your breath and waiting until your body stops. And and, and obviously the, the more streamlined you are, the further you'll go with practice. Or with a dive even, you can do the same thing. Um, usually the, the head gets in the way in streamlining too. People start lifting their head too early. Um and uh, same in swimming. In fact, for, for years, in, in the 90s, when I first started getting back into coaching, because I was in the business world for 30-odd years, and, uh, I, I still recommended looking forward underwater because it's natural for a human being to see where they go. And it took Forbes Carlyle to tell me, well, John, <laughs> things have changed since your day. And... Uh, you know, the, the objective is not looking down. The objective is to streamline and not use your upper neck muscles because those muscles use a hell of a lot of energy. There's, 
spare the twitchy white muscles to, to swing your head around in in emergencies, you know. So, uh, so uh, uh, yes, it's, uh, the head the head is the, the key thing, and and, uh, and and just practicing by pushing off or diving without moving, and seeing seeing how far you can get. And I just want to talk about one more thing, and that's over exaggerating a movement in a drill or in the water to help to help get a feel for it or to help to learn that thing. So uh, I know it's one of the things you mentioned in your DVD and it's something that I like to do as well, particularly with drills, to overemphasize something. So, for example, if a, a swimmer is bending their knees too much when they kick, so it's like they're riding a bicycle, I'll get them to kick mm. with just by keeping their legs straight and so over-exaggerating yeah. the straightness of the legs to help them get the feel for what they should be doing. And you yeah. do quite a bit of that too, don't you? Yeah, and, and, and I think... Nobody's been able to explain to me why, but in swimming, a, a little bit of change feels like a lot. You know, somebody who's crossing over in their in, in their entry, crossing over the other side, you get them to to, to 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 stop doing that. They think that their arms are going in out wider than their shoulders. <laughs> so learning by exaggeration is good. And, and I do want to focus on 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 the catch up or the way of the pool, uh, because I think that's the second biggest thing. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, I, I still like the old catch-up drill. I've tried every single drill that I can find and lay my hands on, but I call it sun touch because catch-up requires, suggests rushing. Uh, you know, take a stroke, touch your thumbs in front, take the other stroke, touch your thumbs in front. And and, and, and this, this, this teaches you the, the catch-up, if you like, as an old-fashioned word, but... Uh, and, and the catch-up is, is is critical because uh, if if you start pulling too soon, in other words, your arms are rotating faster, uh, your, your 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 pull is out of sync with with your body rotation. Uh, if if you delay the pull until the opposite hand enters, that means you've got momentarily two hands forward of your head. Uh, you have the longest combination of body rotation and pull, which is, uh, which is, uh, yeah, using your body weight to add power to your arm pull. Uh, you name it, boxing, golf, tennis. Think about Leighton Hewitt hitting a, a backhand with that rotation. It wouldn't even reach the net. And the ball wouldn't even reach the net. So, you know, you've got, you got, uh, this, this, uh, this, uh, rotation. And that means you, uh, sorry, this delayed pull. I call it delay the pull rather than catch up. Same thing. Uh, and, and this reduces the number of strokes per lap because each stroke is more powerful with the same energy and, and it takes you further. And uh, I, was, I was really interested in, uh, in, in, in this new 16-year-old kid, Jordan Harrison. Uh, grab a, I only saw him on the news. I'd love to see some footage of it. I'll go down and, and see him in Southport and uh, uh, Dennis Cottrell's and see. Uh, his, his hands get to within about 18 inches of each other in front. And and that means, my guess is that he's, he's, he's doing about 30 strokes per 50, maybe even less. The only person who's gone on that 30 is Salty in his 200-meter world records in lap, lap two and three and in Japan in 2003, he's, he did 29 strokes. His stroke count was 29 for laps two and three. 
He used to strike 34 when he first broke world records. Grant started, was, was striking 35 when he first started breaking world records. This is stroke count. And his last world record was 31 strokes to that. So don't confuse our speed with swimming speed. Uh, uh, you know, if, you're, if you're pulling too soon, you're driving in second gear, you got more reds uh, and you're using more fuel, uh, but you're not going faster. Yeah, that's that's right, and you, you see it a lot when you when you're maybe taking uh, like football players or rugby players up where you are, and they've got a lot of power, a lot of strength, yeah. and they'll try and use that to pull themselves through the water really quickly by you know really rushing their hands through the water. But swimming is not about yeah. that; it's about holding the water and then moving yourself yeah. past your hand and, and getting a, a good grip on it. So to speak. Well, I've got first-hand experience of that. When, when I had the lease of the Cook and Phillip Park, uh, the, the, the South Sydney Rabbitohs came for their recovery sessions, and and some of the boys didn't swim too well because they grew up with a rugby ball in their hands, and particularly the Islander boys. You know, they didn't like the water because they sank all the time because they're built like brick outhouses, <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they they float like brick outhouses. And then when they pull, they rip a hole in the water. Um, you know, it's a little bit like wheel spin in a powerful car. You know, getting forward. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I use a lot of analogies outside of swimming, you know, which, which I think is a good way of picturing things. And, uh, yeah, and they couldn't float either. Uh, and, 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 oh, uh, getting back to what we started on, a hang float or, 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 you know, seaweed float. Uh, when you relax, your body expands in volume. And and people who are think, consider themselves as thinkers, and there are plenty of those in the triathlon world, uh, with relaxation, uh, their body expands in volume for the same weight. So slowly, they'll either get, get the backs uh, up, up, up to the surface or even their legs will start coming up higher in, in a hang float. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things to think about. There's, no matter how good you get as a swimmer, there's always something to work on, something to concentrate on. But I think that's part of the the enjoyment that comes with swimming is just consistently improving and, and working on different things. And, uh, yeah, well, th- you know, John, thank you so much for jumping on a podcast with me. I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your knowledge uh, on here. How can people find out more about um you about the DVDs you offer and also if they would like a private or, or group lessons with you? Yeah, well, I'm on the web, uh, John Conrad's, uh, .au, John Conrad's one word with a K and that's on the end. I'm a, a Latvian born foreigner, so it was when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, and it's J O H N, not J O N, like some people dub me because of John Hendricks, who's J O N at the same time. But, but your, most of your customers will say John Who, because, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to a bunch of my kids one day at the squad in Cook and Phillip Park, but they were about eight and nine years old, and I said, Who's your favorite swimmer? And they said, Oh, Grant Hackett, oh, Libby Trickett, and, 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 and Libby Lenton and those days. And I said, what about Kieran Perkins? And there was silence. <laughs> and then one kid pipes up, pipes up and says, oh, he's real old, isn't he? <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's good for you. 
Yeah, well, um, I well, I think most of my customers they're sort of in the thirty to to fifty year age group. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure most of them have have heard of you. So it's uh, okay. it's been it's been great to have you on the on the podcast, podcast John. So uh, yeah, thanks very much. So johnconrads.com.au um, to get more information um, about John, and if you'd like to get any of his um, books or DVDs or organize any private lessons with him. So thanks again, John. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.